Hello. Oh, bloody hell. That's very loud. Um, so we are currently waiting for our fourth panellist. Um, but just in the meantime, I thought I would introduce um, Toby Walker, who is speaking this evening, myself, uh, Evren, and um, Joni uh, Cohen, who's also speaking. And we're waiting for Chimindra. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, would you, Joni, would you like to have a little chat about what you're going to be speaking about, or uh, no? Oh. Uh, sorry, I'm not, I'm not used to the mic. Um. Yeah, I, I can just do my presentation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I have written down a few like central tenets of um, any kind of trans-liberation movement that's like worth its salt, basically. And... Um, and yeah, most of them aren't actually like trans-specific, but um, once you get past the kind of the kind of liberal paradigm of, of like trans representation, um, and start looking at kind of materialist um, transfeminism or trans liberation, you start realizing that actually um, transphobia is something which like which is um which is a catalyst or like it just compounds other structural violences um and so like we can actually there's a substantial amount of like trans liberation which we can achieve through um economic and political interventions that that aren't necessarily that's that specifically um aimed at trans liberation but um trans people trans people um, disproportionately suffer from these. So, this one in specific. <laughs> the first one is um, gender abolition. So, I'm not using this in the, in the kind of uh, second wave feminist understanding of gender abolition. Um, <laughs> um, in general, gender abolition for me is um, like just limited to legal gender abolition. Um, I think in order for in order for us to like move forward with any kind of um, transliberatory politics, we need we need to just get rid of like the notion of trans sorry of, of like state controlled gender. Um, gender markers on passports. Um, and all the, and like and like and like and that essentially like and like legally defined gender, um, because gender is a social thing. Gender is like um, defined by relations between people. Um, yeah, it doesn't need to be um, legally defined. I think. Um, hello. <laughs> This is this is Jamindra. Um. <laughs> um, second one is prison and carceral abolition. So one of the substantial um Elements of violence in trans people's lives is the um, is the 
very common occurrence of um, of people being put, of trans people being put in um, prisons which are gendered in the wrong gender, um, particularly trans women being put into male prisons. Um, this is uh, one of the one of the massive structural causes um, of violence against trans women, and um, and indeed like suicide in in um, and, um, in prisons. Um, so I think like. The problem of trans people and, and and incarceration of trans people exposes exposes through like this contradiction between between like trying to trying to find basically the right way to incarcerate a trans person um, exposes the exposes the the absolutely like horrific violence at the very heart of of um of any kind of incarceration. Um, and so, yeah, so I think, um, so, so once more, like, so, um, with legal gender recognition, all we're going to end up with is things like non-binary prisons, which has been proposed for, uh, for like, special prisons for trans people, um, which is not going to solve anything. Um, <clears throat> that's like having separate toilets specifically for trans people. It's a ludicrous idea that just makes further isolates trans people from the rest of the, any kind of group. And, oh. and we've already had problems with uh, the reporting of, of trans women in prisons that are uh, they're sensitive, or what, what's the, the phrase that they use for? Um, Do you mean high risk prisons? High risk prisons. So the, the, there are lots of uh, trans women in prisons that are that are reported as being uh, for uh, sex criminals, and uh, are actually uh, just prisons to protect various uh, inmates from attack. Where and and trans women are, are in one of those groups that are most likely to suffer from attack in prison. So. Then it gets to, uh, it gets conflated by the media in, as something that uh, is that trans women are disproportionately sex criminals, which is just not the case. Um, it, also, this kind of incarceration is like massively isolated. So, like, whereas in whereas in, like the various different classes of, of incarceration, you have um, a substantial amount of like social or like at least interaction with other people, the the supposed like safe incarceration for trans women is basically um, solitary confinement. Okay, so I'm going to talk about workers' rights a lot more, um, but later on. So I'm going to skip over that. But um, so yeah, free and democratic number five, free and democratically run trans consulted healthcare. Um, the issues around trans healthcare aren't, aren't 
aren't all to do like the the most reported on them is is, is access to trans trans specific healthcare such as hormone replacement therapy, um, and gender confirming surgeries. Like these are very difficult to get hold of. There are waiting lists that are pushing up to now th three years now to get to, to get to a gender identity clinic. Um, trans people have to have to travel for um, great distances to to like a to like a, the the nearest generated clinic was only, was only like five in the country. There isn't one in Wales. Yeah. <laughs> there isn't one at all in the whole of Wales. All of the Welsh trans population have to travel to Charing Cross. Uh, we've been promised one for two years. Thanks. Um, <coughs> um, but this is... Uh, this kind of obscures a lot of other the, of other problems that trans people face accessing healthcare. Um, one one problem is that like is that trans specific healthcare yeah ends up ends up being considered by a lot of GPs as 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 like well, as soon as you as soon as you're like out as trans to your to your GP, there's like oh well you know, you know all the men, all mental health services that they're, they're they're like. Because you're trans, right? You're 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 depressed because you're trans. Well, that obviously that goes under the remit of the gender identity clinic. Um, and I know, like I know so many people that have been denied, like access to basic healthcare that um that other people would be able to because because they because they just they just pass it off onto like the most oversubscribed and underfunded um elements of the NHS. Um. Yeah, I want to see. A trans healthcare, which is where like a substantial amount of the of the healthcare can be can be provided in community, um, and 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 a massive and and then and for uh, for obviously like not all trans people want to be in healthcare, so like, um, but um, I want yeah I want to see health centres which are um. Everywhere and trans-specific, and sorry, <coughs> and um, and like can provide like a variety of healthcare, which is not just transition healthcare, but but um, but mental health care, sexual health care, all this stuff can be can be provided for for trans people. Um, yeah. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to skip the rest of these points for a bit, and and I want to, yeah, I want to talk, talk specifically about um, trans people in work or like the the problems of work for trans people. So, um, trans unemployment isn't isn't monitored in the UK, but um, a 2018 study in Ireland. Show, showed that, um, okay, the, the, the trans unemployment rate in Ireland is 50%, and, and um, non-conclusive studies have shown that, that, that um, Britain has a very similar rate of unemployment. So, this is, so, like, this is like, so trans unemployment is, like, is in like massive crisis levels. We're, we're talking about a population of people in this country that, that like, have a, ha, are like facing 
crisis levels in, in, in just like their simple ability to reproduce themselves um, from day to day. Um, another survey, another study was um, was released this year that um, that concluded that um, so like a thousand employers were um, were interviewed for a range of industries. Um, and it came back that that one third of one third of these um, employers that were interviewed uh, so, like st stated outright to the to the to the interviewers that they would not employ a trans person. Um, a further forty six percent of um, said that they were they were unsure whether they would employ a trans person. So so like so that's a total of seventy six percent, like. If we if we if we if we're, if we're honest with with with, with like uh, these um, these employees that say they're unsure, like that means they're not going to employ you if they can possibly avoid it, right? So that's seventy six percent of of employers survey, surveyed would not employ a trans person. Of those people, of those trans people who are employed, um, one in eight people have have reported. Um, Violence at work, and not just harassment, violence, physical violence. Um, yeah. So, um, and half of all trans people in employment are not out to their employers, and this this can come in two shapes. This can come in being um, being in the closet at work, um, in a sense that um, you're you are working under your assigned gender, and um, and yeah, and, and hiding and hiding any kind of signs of transition from your employers and from your colleagues. Um, this is obviously like an like this this like delays um, transition. This like can be like incredibly emotionally and psychologically de um, devastating for people. And but but this is this is, and, and like but this is like the way you can continue to live is by. Is, uh, continue to have a job is 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 by hiding that fact. The other way of hiding it is is um is uh people what's called um going stealth, which is um people who trans people who have transitioned um and now and now can be read as cisgender, and and these. And so they, so they, so they are employed, um, recognised as their real gender, and and they essentially live in constant fear of of being outed to their employers. Um, I I like know three or four people like just in my close group of friends that have that have that have been that have like been outed to employer to their employers and um, lost their job as a, as a result so obviously as you can as you can see we've, we've, we've got we've got um, conditions of exclusion from the job market we've got conditions of massive precarity um, and these are even more compounded by by the fact that that a lot of, a lot of trans people's lives are are determined by um, by um, like medical processes. 
transition is often a medical process, and and um, and in the UK, um, those those seeking like public transition healthcare essentially get get a, like a, a, a an appointment um, handed over like from on high could be in like a year in advance um which if they if they change it's going to be delayed for another year so like there's no there's no flexibility but in a, in in the current job market if you like flexibility around around like health and health um, uh, appointments is absolutely essential otherwise your boss is just going to be like well you're not interested in this job going to kick you out and, and and of course that's compounded even more by by things like surgeries which have like which have a very long um recovery time like these things aren't going to be aren't, these things um if we're looking at this like level of precarity in the trans population in terms of work like no one's going to be able to have long term sick leave this is this is a population that that doesn't have access to that to that kind of workers' rights. <coughs> so, for a population, am I going taking ages? Uh, no, <laughs> no, it's I fine. Um, okay. Um, so, yeah, a population that is um, excluded from the formal economy, largely. Um, Disproportionately, um, trans people, particularly trans women, are, are work in sex work, which is in in Britain a partially legalized, partially criminalized um, industry. Um, and the criminalization of sex work, of work, of, so criminalization of, of working in groups, um, under under criminalization of brothel laws, means that means that. Um, Trans women who who are working in the sex industry can't work safely. They can't they can't work in groups for safety, and the, and and the, and therefore, um, like this is this is like a this is a massive structural reason for trans femicide for for the for the for the murder of trans women who yeah don't have access to to safety at work. They don't have access to. To other forms of work, and they don't have access to safety at the work that they can access. So, yeah. So, how how can we like solve these problems? Um, short of a complete overhaul and instantiation of communism. <laughs> um, since we're a Labour Party style thing. Um, I have a few um, a few suggestions of um, the kind of policies that a Corbyn government could put in place. Um, so one would be transition benefit. This is an earmarked um, earmarked money from the state for all trans people who essentially need a period. Where, um, where they just don't need to work, so that they can sort their gender out, and this can be medical medical transition, which is long and painful, and it can or it can be it can be like um, mental health related. It can be like it, it is it's it's a long and arduous um, labour essentially, um, 
transitioning from one gender to another. And and the um, the work precarities that I've been talking about are at their fiercest during early transition. So like when you are when you're essentially living in the world um, in a like I mean obviously like I'm talking specifically about um, binary transgender people here like um, who are like early transition for for trans men and women not non-binary people but like um as is like is like as a matter of trying to survive in in a world when you're gender non-conforming um which is a state of where um you face like a massive amount of violence on on the street um the eternal toilet question, <laughs> which I'm sure many people have experienced in this room. Um, yeah, so all of this stuff could be vastly ameliorated, I think, with just the problem of surviving day-to-day -day being solved, being sorted out by a transition benefit. Um, I've lost my list of things. Okay. Um, another thing would be um, priority social housing for trans youth and trans people in general. So obviously with, with all this work precarity that I've been stating, the, the, the next, next bit in the chain reaction is, is homelessness. So home, like a trans, um, there's like vastly disproportionate um, rate of homelessness among trans people. Um, so, like, I mean, we need, we're, in, we're in the middle of a housing crisis generally. We need to have social housing completely overhauled, as we had a we had a whole session on this earlier today. Um, yeah, but um, there needs there needs to be like earmarked quotas of of social housing specifically for trans people. Um, another related problem is is um, is is like trans minors, um, like a lot a lot a lot of these structural problems, are, like are worst um, when the like trans minors come out, um, and often their parents despise them. Um, People often have to like estrange themselves from their parents and leave home at a very young age. Um, and at the moment, there's there's, there's there's no services which are which are specifically for tr like trying to deal with this issue, um, trying to actually support people, support, support like trans minors that and end up being completely homeless and having no access to a family unit or a care, kind of care unit. Um, okay. um, of course, sex work decriminalization, as I mentioned before. Yeah, okay, that's it.
Um, that was really, uh, I, I was writing notes the whole time because that was amazing. Um, I've got a few questions that I thought we could all um, think about uh, based on what you were, what all the, all the excellent stuff you said. Um, one of the things that really jumped out to me, because um, my personal interest is very much in trans healthcare, again, away from being constantly sent to the GIC, which is, as Joni said, entirely oversubscribed and underfunded. Um, so I was wondering what we all thought about kind of concrete ways that could be addressed, especially within the context of a uh, Labour government. Um, anyone like to? Any? Any? Sorry, I'm so sorry, yeah. So the GIC stands for a gender identity clinic. Um, they're a specialist service. There's only five of them in the UK, including none for the entire country of Wales. Um, and uh, yeah, once you once you uh, you speak to a GP and you say, oh, I, th I think I'm trans, and uh, luckily, um, some GPs can be quite obstructive. They will refer you to the GIC, um, and the wait times are, at this point, at a breaking point. Um, currently, the wait for uh, the Exeter... Yeah, the Tavistock Clinic, it's four years. So you're waiting four years for your first appointment, um, and in that appointment, you are lucky to get any care whatsoever. It will often just be the GIC questioning you on why you think you're trans. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, if there's any... Yeah, if there's any terms that uh, we... We're, if we're over, overly jargonistic, please do call out. Um, but over to you, Toby. Uh, so, for example, I am a trans man who... I'm a trans man and I've, I've been on testosterone for about seven months now and I am yet to be referred to a GIC by my NHS GP. Uh, it, it, it just doesn't happen unless you, you sort of come in every month and go, yes, I'm still trans. It's still happening. My voice is broken. I'm growing a beard. I really am trans, I'm sure. Uh, it, it doesn't happen without you reassuring them constantly. They, uh, also, the amount of times I've been in for something else and they've been like, well, have you tried being a masculine woman? And I was like, I'd never thought of that. I'd never thought of that. <laughs> that, that. The thought never occurred to me that I could just be, you know, a woman with a short haircut. It's just... It's, uh, one, one said, uh, you know, you get frequently uh, people saying, uh, why, why don't you try out being a lesbian? And it's like... I like men, actually, um, but yeah, um, the there are lots of problems with uh, the GIC uh, ways that they handle specifically uh, trans women and trans feminine people who who are seeking medical transition, um, because uh, medical transition between trans men and trans women is is vastly different, um, and there are sort of lots of aspects of medical transition which are which are basically easier for trans men so I take hormonal replacement therapy and then a lot of things will dramatically change about my appearance and the way that I uh, speak my, my voice will drop um, and uh, you know my, my my body mass will change significantly um, so you get like a feminine fat distribution sort of changes into masculine fat distribution. I gain lots of muscle and things like that. They're, that's all from one process, from, from one, uh, you know, getting prescribed testosterone means that sort of my life is made immediately significantly better and that I can see, you know, an arc going up 
and I can see my my sort of body becoming less and less. Uh, it's not the case for everyone. Um, yeah, I, I think that lots and lots of people are still dissatisfied and and need more more help with their medical transition. But for with trans women at the moment, uh, I think you're offered uh, five goes at uh, laser hair removal, uh, which is not enough uh, on the face. It's painful. It makes people's faces blotchy for a couple of days. It's not a nice process. And uh, that's kind of almost all that's offered. Uh, facial feminization surgery, which is really, really important for uh, trans feminine people, uh, because like overwhelmingly they get more crap than us. Toby, can like, I can I stop yeah. you? Sorry. Um, uh, what did you think about um, Joni's proposal to move trans healthcare away from just medical transition and about the GIC, like more a more radical form of trans healthcare that isn't just based on this kind of sort of stuff? Well, sorry, the, I wasn't clear the, enough on what sorry, I was asking. I I I, I didn't realise I was asking a question. I just thought I was talking. Uh, uh, I think that well, there was a there was an NHS uh, questionnaire thing that uh, was kind of kept quite secretive and was also uh, open to the public uh, for all of their everyone to um, respond to, regardless of whether you were extremely transphobic or a trans person or whatever. Um, and uh, they they actually uh, there was an overwhelming response for people to have. Um, like almost like a, like a federalized or like an, a local area GIC type replacement. So one person who is specialized in a local area that everyone could go and see, you know, within 30 miles instead of 300. Um, and that's what they're looking at trialing in Wales because they don't have any GICs and it seems like that's working out Yeah, really, they keep really on well. promising the Welsh one. They've be, they've be, I, 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 did a, I did a talk on trans healthcare in 2016. Uh, and I talked. I was complaining about the Welsh uh, GIC not being made up then, and then very quickly people jumped on me. They were like, "Oh, but it's coming! It's coming! It's coming soon!" And then it never came. This is two years later. The the waiting lists are even longer, and uh, Welsh people are still being forced to to get on a, a ninety pound train to to London. To you know, because there aren't any any trans people in London, right? Like, there's just none. <laughs> there's there's no nobody there waiting already in Charing Cross. Um, but yeah, uh, that's. Uh, I think that uh, I think we should uh, force GPs to force. We we would have to force it. Um, we should make GPs uh, more. They should all have training, uh, mandatory training, to um, be able to deal with some of the more basic uh, gender identity questions that patients might have. So, uh, for example, uh, I'm depressed or I, I'm anxious. Saying something like, are you sure it's not because you're trans, isn't actually helpful. It might be, but it, it might be related because, you know, so much of my bureaucratic money... Uh, life problems have been made by being trans, but it's not it's not the root cause, and it's not one and the same thing. Doctors need to be able to handle that. Uh, people people talk about um, 
the testosterone broken link syndrome where people come in with a random ailment and someone says is are you sure that's not a a side effect of of hormonal replacement therapy you're taking testosterone you're going through male puberty right now are you sure that that leg that you broke isn't caused by that um which is ludicrous and and you know Besides anything else, have you ever treated, Mr. GP, doctor, um, any teenager? Because that's what I'm going through. It's not that hard. Like, I smell. That's it. <laughs> um, it's, it's ludicrous. But, uh, yeah, other thing, uh, things uh, GPs could be able to handle is instead of, like... Uh, waiting for a referral for like really basic stuff like would you like counselling about the fact that you're you're trans uh, and that uh, changing your name is a bit of a weird thing to be doing uh, like cha coming out to your family is bit, a bit more uh, dramatic uh, shall we say for lots of people uh, than than coming out in d other ways um, like would you like counselling for that should be something that a GP can offer without you having to travel to Charing Cross from from Cardiff to go and get. It's not it's not you know a huge leap of logic. Um, so that that would be be the answer to that question. Chaminder, would you uh, obviously yes. um, we we started without you. Is a what do you think about the um, about moving kind of trans healthcare from funneling everyone into the GIC for everything and about. Ch Kind of like what Joni was speaking about, a more community-based healthcare. Trans healthcare. Jesus. Trans healthcare. See, the bottom line is, right, you have to... I'm talking about trans healthcare is not a monolith, right? The problems you have in trans healthcare in this country, like in NHS trusts uh, in England, Wales, Scotland and elsewhere, those problems are linked to broader problems in the healthcare system, right? Now, if you want to talk about trans healthcare, the lack of a GIC in Wales, or the three-year waiting time in the Northern Ireland uh, gender identity clinic, or Charing Cross, you know, God knows, how many years did you say Charing Cross? Oh, right. Yeah, Tavistock is a four year. Um, oh. There you are, right. Uh, there you have it. So the problems involved, I mean, these issues are connected to broader issues of the healthcare system. So you need to challenge the system, all right? No, don't lose sight of the fact that you are facing systemic issues, right? Let's say women's healthcare, right? Violence practiced in uh, gynecology, for instance, right? Are very closely linked to the denial of reproductive uh, justice-related uh, healthcare solutions to trans people. All right. So the way in which trans women, as you rightly stated, there that uh, trans women face more challenges in gender identity clinics through the psychiatric evaluation as per the 2004 Act and 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 in the following stages. Those things are linked to how women's healthcare, as in cis women's healthcare, is. Uh, conditioned is, is carried out is executed in general all right so if you keep on if you focus your trans activism this is a critique I have of British trans activism uh, 
if you focus your activism only on the lack of a GIC or the, or the waiting list or problems in trans healthcare, you're not going to get far. You need to focus on the broader systemic factors involved here, that there is a huge gender issue involved, that in terms of, um, if you look at childbirth, for instance, anybody who has witnessed a childbirth in a place like Northern Ireland, Jesus, Northern Ireland is not a great place to have a baby, right? Jesus, if I if 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 that were the case, like if I I live in Northern Ireland, I did a PhD in Belfast and everything. But if I were if if under different circumstances in my life, if I ever happened to get pregnant in Northern Ireland, I'd run seven thousand kilometers away because it's it's a terrible place in terms of the support given to somebody who's giving birth. So these things are interconnected. So we need to, that's why when you say abortion rights, uh, uh, for example, or any aspect of antenatal care, postnatal care, women's healthcare issues uh, are monopolized by certain specific activist groups without looking at the broader intersectional intersections, right? Uh, uh, intersectional issues involved. If you don't take a broad approach of that nature, the, I mean, uh, you're not going to get far. And the systems in place are, are created to prevent us from looking uh, at things in such a way, right? So the abortion rights activists would focus in Northern Ireland, for example, exclusively on a woman's right for an abortion. What woman are you talking about? A cis woman's right for an abortion. And then, uh, oh, what, what kind of cis woman? Yes, a white woman's right for abortion. And if it's a woman of color, immigrant woman, ah, sure, no, no, that's not our business, right? Her immigration problems, visa problems, let her f off with the Home Office, right? And and then uh, if it's a more presentable kind of woman, if you notice the Irish Republic, you know, they repeal the AIDS referendum. If it's a more presentable, kind of white passing, kind of model immigrant type of uh, foreign woman who dies on a hospital bed uh, because she's denied an abortion, giving birth, Dr. Savita Halappanwaner, then she becomes the fierce. They capitalize upon her, they tokenize her big time, and then she becomes the face of this white lady's abortion campaign, right? So we are conditioned to, people are conditioned to work like that. Trans activists work in their, in the, uh, focus solely on, on, on the trans healthcare issue. So we need to think beyond that. So we need to develop better solidarities, better understandings, and also take control of these things. NHS trusts how many trans people are in these big boards in high positions, right? Break those glass ceilings. How many women are in high positions? Like, Jesus, I mean, uh, it's such a pity. Like the Northern Ireland CLP of the Labour Party is a big, big failure. The women's officer of the Northern Ireland uh, CLP, uh, Denise Phelan, who is, a, who is an excellent reproductive justice activist, she was denied an abortion, right? Fatal fetal abnormality, denied an abortion. And, and, and um, uh, the bottom line here is, like herself, Denise has done research into this about NHS trusts in Northern Ireland. Who are the people in high positions in NHS trusts? People close to the bloody DUP. So do you think you're gonna get anywhere? No, you're not gonna get anywhere. So we need to think in terms of representation. Representation matters and be a lot more critical in our activism when it comes to these things. Uh, I'm so glad you were able to make it. That was uh, that was amazing. Thank you very much. Um, uh, I I very much agree, especially in terms of um, trans activism, in that 
there are lots of artificial uh, kind of divisions that people so especially with um, trans friends of mine who do have immigration issues you're completely out of the healthcare system to start with and then also um, your kind of issues that Joni spoke about about precarity um, and lack of flexibility are, are compounded if you're uh, if you're if you're an immigrant and trans in this country um, and with a very obvious transition, sorry Toby, uh, pun unintended, um, I wondered if people had anything, well, I wonder if people wanted to talk about um, the second thing I picked up from uh, your presentation journey about um, kind of the ref reformation of uh, the legalization around gender, which I think affects trans people and women, and well, everyone really, but um, yeah, about abolishing gender in a legalistic sense. Did you want to expand? Or I'd, I'm not sure how best to pass the mic. Chimindra, did you want to say anything? Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, so, Joni, I'm not sure if you missed it, but we were talking about, well, you were talking about um, gender abolition, not in a second wave sense, but in a, the legalization of kind of like uh, gender markers and things around that and, and, and how at the moment they're really tied to... Uh, making transition difficult, but also it's it's not just a trans-related issue, um, the legalisation of gender, especially, again, when it relates to healthcare. What do you mean exactly by legalisation of gender? Um, I, I'm probably explaining it wrong. So, like, this... I think I think this, this um, issue is, like, particularly pertinent for um, trans migrants. Um... Like the, I mean, or just like, or just like, and okay, basically, I want, I want to talk about like passports, um, and gender on passports. Um, traveling, as a trans person, is incredibly difficult. Um, <laughs> don't know if anyone's watched Transparent. There's like that terrible scene where like where she's trying to go through the, um, the airport security, and and they're like, oh, we found a groinal anomaly. Um, and then, oh, we need to search you. Oh, oh, we don't know which gender person to to get to search you. Like, I mean, this is like, yeah. I mean, and then that's just, that's just the fact that we like are illegal in most countries in the world. Um, yeah. So like, so gen, so like, to like like a, a national but also international um, abolition of gender on passports. Um, It'd make it. It'd make a massive difference um, for even to travel, but also, but uh, um, migration. Um, oh, I, don't I don't want to speak anymore. Um, that's absolutely fine. Sorry if I've been putting too much mic time on you. Um, I mean, I I can't speak. I'm I'm white British, and I was born I was born in London. I can't really speak on migration issues, but uh, I think gendered passports also are relevant in terms of of work. So um, uh, personally, I found it really difficult getting employment when I can't really legally prove that I exist um, because I've got half my my documents in one name and one gender and the other in another. Um, so I think that links into into work as well. Um, so. Um, if anyone, I, I've got lots of anecdotes about that, but if, if anyone has any thoughts on that kind of thing, um, 
If not, I'm happy to just yell about being trans and trying to find work because it's not fun. Let me tell you. I've 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 come into the bank before with like a huge wad of documents that you can get off um, Gendered Intelligence. They're a charity that are really good and you should give money to if you have it. Um, they uh, produce this whole document that's like thirty pages long on how to speak to anybody who asks about your name and pronouns when you don't have all the stuff. Uh, and you just kind of, I've like gone into the bank and like slapped down like this huge document, this manuscript and been like, okay, it says in your terms and conditions, article 85, like that kind of thing. You have to be your own advocate in every single bureaucratic thing you can ever imagine. Has, has anyone like changed bank accounts or something like that? And you thought that was a faff or signed on. Signing on is like... Like, what, 13 pages? That's nothing. I have 17 original copies of my deed poll. <laughs> 17. You get a copy. You get a yeah. No, I write them out all the time. Because life doesn't, like, allow you to, to progress with just one deed poll. Because my bank still has one. My passport are going to ask for one. I wanted one for... for uh, Things like, uh, I've, I've sent them for all kinds of stupid things, like uh, rail card, uh, library, things, cards. library cards, ludicrous, like things that you, I don't need a passport to get a library book out. I mean, they've never found me anyway when they had my legal name for my bills. They, <laughs> like, why, why on earth there should be so many bureaucratic things that everyone has to go to anyway, but why you need some kind of uh, huge document in order to prove that yes, I am really me and no, I'm not my own twin brother. Um, that it, it's stupid. That, um, legally, we don't have uh, the, you know, the Mr. Mrs. Ms. Uh, Mooks, uh, those, those, what are they called? Titles. Uh, the, the titles don't have any legal significance whatsoever. We can, you can change yourself and, and you could be a dame if you wanted to be tomorrow and nobody would be able to question you on it legally, but nobody knows that in a bank. I want to go in and say... So I had, I had all my prescriptions, still get my prescriptions sometimes, to miss Toby Walker. Like, what's going off? Like, why, why can't you, why haven't you, that, that should have been a button, one button that you could have pressed. But, yeah, and you tell some stories now. <laughs> well, I was going to say, um, all, of this stuff benef uh, all of this stuff feeds into kind of um, things that would be really helped by, uh, you know, trans youth priority. Because another thing about if you're estranged when you're a kid and you can't access housing benefit, and even if you could... Y you can't prove that you exist. Uh, and you can't even get a library card um, because you can't prove that you exist. Um, so I think all this stuff that we're talking about really highlights the importance of, of, of uh, a Labour government really considering these issues. But I wondered if any audience members had any thoughts on what the uh, kind of like what, what these policies could be in effect or like what we're even talking about. If we've been really confusing, please, you know, we'd love to explain. Um,
I, th I think we were just talking about the absence of a gender marker being present on relevant documents that you need to go around your life. So we wouldn't abolish gender entirely yet, but um, we would, we would ha you know, I don't see the point or the need for a uh, passport to have, for example, that I've got F on my passport. It would be so much less of a hassle if nobody had any markers and then I wouldn't have to go through the rigmarole of getting a gender recognition certificate to change it. Uh, I mean, it's, this is, sorry, sorry, Matthew, this is a really interesting discussion, but um, Chimindra, although unfortunately she was late, uh, which is, uh, uh, we don't want to miss out the fact that she's got a lot of really interesting things to present at the moment. So, yeah, I'd love to get back to audience things, but I wasn't quite aware that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk more as well. Well, I, we can, uh, we can definitely get back, yeah, we can get back to that, but I don't want to deny you a chance to... with me a little second, colleagues. Um, okay, right. Uh, and uh, so, um, thanks for having me here. And Ayu uh, Bovan. Good evening, everyone. So I have this little thing, like, thank you, prepared uh, for, like, it won't take long. So I'll, I'll go through it very quickly. Then after, after that, we can, you know, discuss about any points in that. And this is meant to be very critical. And I don't do, uh, like, soft touch politics. My politics are quite uh, critical politics. And uh, it is written in a bit of a harsh way, uh, deliberately. So, um, good evening, everyone. Um, so, may Sangwada Sabhavata Mata Arum Kirima Pilimadua, Sangwadaika Mandata Mage Krutanya Tave Mama Putakanda Kamati, Samajabavi Nidahasa Pilimanda, Vicharat Makasaha, Vivadat Makadhaski Pak, Ubaha, Bedaganta, Mama Mimita Ketivadan Salpetulin Balapurtuinama. So, firstly, I would, you know, remind this audience because I, I uh, wasn't too sure of the, um, what do you call it, the layout of the layout of the event. So I wanted to mention, you know, Sarah Hamid's um, to, uh, uh, statement made by Sarah Hamid some time back, uh, which I believe is very important. Um, given the times we live in, I wanted to kind of phrase this, that they, that, that, there is no debate when debate becomes a technique of elimination, right? So unless you believe that trans women are women and respect the agency of all trans, queer, non-binary and intersex peoples, as well as peoples of indigenous and non-Western gender identities across the world, I have no discussion with you. 
A peer-reviewed article I recently published in a Taylor and Francis journal on issues concerning British Labour's sorry treatment of its party members in Northern Ireland was entitled, um, excuse the language, what is it about Fakov you don't understand? I have a zero tolerance policy towards any drift to biopolitics and the erasure of peoples in the SOGISEC spectrum. SOGISEC, by the way, is the United Nations abbreviation for LGBT+, so sexual orientation, gender identity, slash expression, uh, plus sex characteristics. Um, so I fervently hope I'll not have to repeat the title of my article during the Q&A sessions, and if needed, I, I warn you that I sure will. Uh, so it, it's a pleasure to be at a political event of the left. Now, this is a very important point that I wanted to raise, but at the very outset, I would like to reiterate that the left should not be considered and is not a conducive agent for trans and queer liberation. The left, just like all other major political persuasions in this country, has strict limits when it comes to an intersectional understanding of women's rights, gender justice, and the rights of non-cis-normative and non-heteronormative people. I also express my full solidarity to everyone. There are many British Labour Party members, I'm sure, in this audience. So I also express my full solidarity to everyone who has suffered anti-Semitic abuse in British Labour circles at all levels. See the ongoing scandals in the British Labour Party on anti-Semitism and discriminatory practices operating in the party's structure of internal governance, which has been described, by the way, as not fit for purpose. For example, are closely interconnected to challenges faced by women, and by women I obviously mean cis and trans women, ethnic minority women, disabled women, traveler women, and women from all backgrounds, and LGBTQIA plus people, and people from um, all other minority backgrounds within the left who are part of, you know, left-leaning uh, political persuasions, political, uh, uh, who, who share left-leaning political, political perspectives. Having been elected LGBTQA officer uh, and a voting easy member of the Northern Ireland CLP myself last year, um, I was suspended from the Labour Party earlier this year for robust, for you know, for what I was suspended for, robust reproductive justice advocacy, which involved calling out, in no uncertain terms, SDLP trolls, SDLP is the anti-abortion, uh, misogynist, social democratic and Labour Party of, the, of, of Northern Ireland, sectarian. And so calling out um, uh, SDLP, anti-abortion SDLP trolls and also strong anti-racism advocacy on social media with a Black Lives Matter, if not a critical racial justice perspective, which they, um, the person who did this, what they called it, um, um, a, a hearing of some sort, like a, a, an inquiry. The guy who did the inquiry, obviously a cis-head white male, of course, he found my words to be, and I kid you not seriously, offensive to white men. <laughs> Jesus, I. I'm not kidding now. So that's how well-versed the Labour Party's administrative hierarchy is about racial, social, and gender justice issues. So we need to like look at this, like you know, see it right, see the reality that is right in front of us, you know, without having stupid smoke screens. And the left's understanding of feminist politics is a point where a lot more intersectionality than there is now, and an essentially decolonial focus are highly required. There is a great deal of deconstructing to be done when it comes to discourses of feminist biopolitics of the left, which are 100% white feminist and therefore highly exclusionary and far from 
and from where I stand, outright colonial, condescending, and arrogant. So you see, you know, they, uh, the so-called terrify, you can't call them radical feminists, they're reactionary feminists, non-reactionary non-feminists. So that's all, you know, highly colonial from the perspective of, you know, from where I stand. As a woman from the global south, a political activist of the left, and an intersectional feminist activist and an academic, I wish to make it absolutely crystal clear that the left, especially the left under Corbyn, is no El Dorado, as opposed to popular belief. Uh, and it, the, the left under Corbyn is a place where transphobia, misogyny, but by that I mean both cis and trans misogyny and especially misogynoir, are alive and well. The veil of acceptance and cosmopolitanism of you know, Corbyn's red labor, oh, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, bloody blah, blah, right, often engages in politics of denial when it comes to equality and justice for women, as well as peoples in the sex spectrum. So this needs to be called out. And for example, look at this event, right? This event is a fine example of the left's inclination to tokenize trans issues, where the panel on trans liberation, the panel on trans liberation is programmed for the very end of the day, a very long day, uh, also coinciding with the talk by a towering figure of the left in Europe, Jean-Luc Mélenchon of uh, La France Insoumise. So Jesus, if I happen to live in Liverpool and if I were speak, if I were not a speaker here, I swear to God, I would go to see Monsieur Mélenchon than coming here. So, um, and an email, and so there you are. So this is how trans rights are, you know, looked at in the left. So I would say. So the underlying message of the left, you know, to trans people is very much like, sure, we bring a few trans people together, let them say a few things, but not much, and, you know, then shut them down, and, you know, that's the bloody box ticked, right? So if you can't, you know, so you can't take space, and you're all, you know, but an addendum uh, to the left if you're if you're trans if you're gender non-conforming if you're non-binary if you are indigenous if you are if you if, you, if you're basically non-cisgender and the and the typical middle class white lefty and so I, I, this this whole way in which you deal with trans issues, look at the front rows empty, uh, the priority seats empty and everything. This way of doing things remind me of, um, you know, Audre Lorde's, um, Audre Lorde says at one point in one of her uh, essays, what does it mean when the tools of a racist patriarchy are used to examine the fruits of that same patriarchy? So serious question we need to raise, like, what does it mean when the tools of a racist patriarchy are used to examine the fruits of that racist, uh, of that same patriarchy? And it got me thinking on the relevance of this question to the lack of an intersectional feminist political praxis in the left and the left's rather deliberately twisted miss, if not non-understanding of trans and queer liberation. So when the left puts together a panel on feminism and, so and socialism, I noticed this earlier in the TWT program, the panel is exclusively composed of cis women, all of them except one a very white or white passing, and the contributions of Afro-feminists, trans-feminists of color, global South feminist activists, and their solidarity building work and movement building discourses are, that are more essential than, which are more essential than ever to discussions on feminist politics of the left are kept categorically avoided. Bravo, the left. 
Trans and queer liberation are inextricably linked and inextricably tied and interlinked to women's rights and critical intersectional feminist discourse, uh, discourses and activist praxis. To me, trans politics are completely linked to politics of abortion rights, uh, the struggles of black and brown, cis and trans, queer and uh, non-binary and indigenous women across the world for basic human dignity and fundamental rights. So as gender justice activists, we need to see beyond the top of our street, stop seeing the left as our one and only political platform. Seriously, we need to stop seeing the left as our one and only political platform and adopt a far more critical and uh, critical discourse to our activism and movement building Focus, focusing on progressive, decolonial, and intersectional trans and queer feminist politics, along with principles such as Marsha Johnson's words, part of the people, part of the people. When Marsha Johnson used to say part of the people, she meant cis people, trans people, um, gay and lesbian people, and people across the gender spectrum and sexual orientation spectrum and so on. So Marsha Johnson's part of the people, uh, the people the way Marsha meant it, and also all the Lord's words, I'm not free while any other woman is unfree, even when her shackles are very different from my own. Focusing on our collective liberation. So this is what liberation politics are all about. So, and not centering on our, our energies on political entities to which we are for tick boxing purposes or to be used for their agendas. We need to, as gender justice activists, in other words, we need to take control of the political activism we do with political parties, different political persuasions, political events and conferences, and not be uh, like be 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 uh, uh, vessels for you know them to uh, um, tick their boxes and to um, uh, we should not play by their agendas. That's the main point I wanted to mention. Thank you. Sorry, that was just really good. I've just taken a moment to um, to absorb. Um, yeah, I, I do think this is, uh, and, and, and let me know if you agree, if, trans people really are an, in, an easy uh, addendum to the left, as you said, Chimindra. Uh, like, we uh, are in a basement, um, and there's not very many people here. Um, and I, in my own organising, it's very much, when you, you, when you kind of feel like you have to say, like, oh, as a trans person, have you considered this? You always feel like no one wants to hear it because it's like, oh, why are we having to talk about this as well? Um, and like in the left in general, it just seems like instead of it being a part of a wider conversation about accessibility to everyone, it's very much packaged and parceled up into, I guess we can be accessible to trans people in this way. Um, yeah, it's um, the in terms of accessibility um, in, in a wider scale, it is, it is very similar to how... Um, uh, disabled people and, and people with health issues are marginalised and that accessibility, which should be a base, is seen as a favour um, done to people. Uh, did you have more things you want to say on that, Toby? Um, I, did, I, I didn't. Uh, but I, I, uh, I thought that uh, it was it, it's symbolic that uh, what happens at events like these when uh, there is a sudden sort of rush to make a gender-neutral toilet out of nothing, uh, 
what they do is they tack over a picture of like a half skirted half not skirted individual in silhouette over the top of the uh you know ungendered person in the wheelchair of the disabled toilets we we are told to share we are told to take up more room than we need to because they don't want to give up one of the cis people's cubicles it's it's a bit silly we don't need to do that we should like it shouldn't it shouldn't be a favor and it shouldn't be rushed um it should just be a basic fact you know your your toilet at home is gender neutral it's accessible i mean it might not be that accessible if you live upstairs but it's 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 fine as it is uh i wanted to, well i wanted to talk some stuff Talk some. I wanted to talk about some activism stuff. Yeah, no, I, think, um, I think if we. Yeah. If you um, so Toby, if you give a little bit of a presentation on activist work, and then I think if we could get back to if if we want to get back to audience questions now that um, everyone's then everyone would have been accounted for, and then we can do that and open it up a bit more because we're quite an intimate small audience. So you know, yeah. if you don't want if if you want to get involved, like we could, we could, it's we could a good time. Names and pronouns. There's there's that few people here. Uh, really, I'm really glad that you came at all uh, uh, yeah uh, I'm Toby I'm a journalist uh, an out of work journalist um, I don't have a job because people don't want trans men as journalists or pundits they, they, they want to get uh, somebody more obviously trans and uh, more um, hmm yeah, they. Whenever you get a panel on. I think I think you know if you go to the back of a restaurant, you can find an, a, a gender-neutral toilet quite easily. Anyway, I. Uh, I. 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 When we're not trying to, we're not trying to close it down. Uh, especially, you know, uh, with with my my activist thing, uh, uh, a, a protest that I've been organising for the last couple of weeks, uh, it's called "Won't Die Waiting." It's about uh, it's 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 targeting and complaining about uh, waiting times on the NHS. But the part of the reason that I've organised it is because if we turned up to a general NHS cuts protest. And we were talking about, you know, you're you're there with people who have got other problems that are also vital, uh, and then we turn up with, uh, talking about trans rights and trans healthcare. Then quite often they'd be told to go home in no uncertain terms, because you know if you if you are if you're bringing up something that is thought of as less vital, then you know 
of course they're going to cut you first. They keep on telling me about. Uh, so there's seven. There's seven top surgeons. That's the surgeons who do uh, transpecific mastectomies um, for uh, on the NHS for trans men to remove their breasts. Uh, there's seven that are are trained, and we just lost one. Uh, it, uh, she was defunded by their, her CCG uh, after. Her waiting list of 18 months was had been waiting for their surgery referrals with no word. You don't tend to hear from a surgeon for a really long period of time or a gender identity clinic or anyone to do with trans healthcare. Really, you sort of send an email and you go, are you, are you still there? And sometimes they are, but mostly <laughs> they, they don't tell you until you're called up. Uh, so... Some of these people had been waiting 18 months and then, without warning, after being on a waiting list for that long, uh, had their surgery uh, referrals and surgeries cancelled uh, without any hope of a replacement. Uh, and they were told, uh, and this is where I think it is unusual, uh, they were told that they, the uh, surgeon that they were waiting for had been defunded from doing trans-specific mastectomies to make room for cancer patients seeking uh, mastectomies, um, which I don't think I've. I mean, I I am a person who has, uh, you know, thankfully few uh, medical problems, but um, I don't think it's ever the policy of the NHS to tell people how they're allocating their funds. You weren't important as you weren't as important as these people. They're really important. You're kind of you're eh, you you can wait another year and a half. Uh and that's just not the case. I mean uh I think that all these things shouldn't be defunded at all. Uh but if you're going to defund um you, you, you can't defund. You can't defund any mastectomies. You can't ration it. You can't as a, a population, we shouldn't be tightening our belts with healthcare. We should be fighting for more healthcare. I mean, you know, why the heck have we got bombs when, when we don't have basic things like surgery? I think this plays really well into what um, Dr. Charindra was saying, is that mm. it, this kind of thing keeps um, trans activists focused on, on specific surgeries, and, and it's a really laser focus, when really, I have heard those exact same things said to disabled people, like, oh, well, you don't need it, someone else needs it more, and that's always the line at the moment, because of NHS cuts and austerity, uh, we're all being played against each other, it's not just trans people, it really is everyone with chronic health and issues. The, the, and the same doctors who, who do those, sorry, the same doctors who do... Uh, Sorry. Sort of botched job uh, uh, surgeries on on intersex uh, infants when they're born uh, to change the shape of their genitals so they might be more normal uh, are the same ones who do like husband stitches on uh, women after they've had a childbirth. They're the same people. Oh yes. I just wanted to mention, you know, uh, on, on the point you made, um, in Northern Ireland you now there is a very interesting organisation, for instance, called Fermana SOS Save Our Services, right? And the co-founder of Fermana Save Our Services, the chairman of the Labour Party of Northern Ireland, Comrade Pardog Murphy, is right here. And um, you can, if you're interested in campaigning for trans healthcare or better healthcare, especially better gender justice focused healthcare, right? Better reproductive justice focused healthcare. It's very important for us to do what SOS Fermana does because they take on the entire health service. They try to take the 
NHS to book basically on um, bad practices, on discriminatory, uh, uh, exclusionary practices that the healthcare system has, because their problems are systemic, so we need to also to take on their problem at its root. So that model there, so as Fermana would be the kind of activism we should be actually developing, you know, focusing on, let's say, uh, bringing people together, right, and, and developing like strong umbrella uh, activist networks where we take on the health system for better gender justice in the health system. So that's a point I just wanted to mention. Um. Um, I think also, uh, so we've, we're probably going to be wrapping at nine. So we've, I just wanted to ask about uh, your, everyone's perspective on the, another point about, uh, yeah, uh, I want to specifically ask in terms of what people think about, um, we've all kind of spoken around the point like, um, uh, about cut, like, so healthcare is one, one thing that, that reached out into everything, but also um, in terms of legalization and the criminalization of trans people, like what about the, like the carceral system failing trans people? I mean, obviously we don't want non-binary only prisons or a kind of um, top-down uh, solution to that. Um, what would be an actual radical liberato liberatory solution? Um. There's one crime that not many people know about trans people, that uh, if you have sex with somebody uh, and you don't reveal that you're trans and they can't tell that you're trans and then you have sex and they have sex and they have a nice time and they go away and they discover that you're trans, they can then sue you for rape. Uh, that's that's a law in this country. Uh, yeah. Uh, that would be one thing that should just be scrapped. Uh, <laughs> that, 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 that doesn't seem like a really, really radical thing, but uh, yeah. Can we talk about media? We've only got, we've only got, all right, let's take some questions. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's going to be way better, so people don't have to yell. Um, um, I think the um, rainbow Adidas person had their hand up first, but I may be wrong. And then... And, and this lady uh, oh, yeah. up in the top corner, she had her hand up early on. Uh, hello. Uh, hello. Um, my name is Chris. I work with um, trans youth locally, um, and I just wanted to say maybe something a bit positive as well about... Um, my job, and um, I'm quite lucky to do that, um, is that we, the youth project that we run, um, part of a local charity, um, is funded by the CCG, um, which is very rare, I think, um, nationally. And that came from consultation with trans people locally um, before I moved into the job. But the point is, is that it exists, and I think that people need to know that they should put as much pressure on their local CCGs as possible. Um, the NHS is a big massive machine, as we all know. It's really hard to change things when we talk about it that way, but whenever we kind of dig in locally, sometimes big changes can happen. So what that offers is a space for trans young people to be together and also some one-to-one -one support as well, which might be referrals to JIDs or GIC or something like that as well. So I just thought, I'd mention that, but also I think the thing that comes from them that's really important is education. So it's getting into schools and talking about 
trans identities and um, barriers that trans young people face in school, but also as you grow older in the life. And I think maybe that's a good place to start in terms of trying to um, democratise things a little bit. Um, I was at an NAS thing the other day, um, and I think these things should go hand in hand. I think um, if you're talking about a national education service, we're talking about inclusive RSE. I think these things need to be taught and kind of... Um, implemented and actually taken seriously. But I think, you know, going back to some of the things you say, GPs need training, teachers need training. People need to be aware of, of some of the, or a lot of the barriers that trans people face. And maybe then there'll be some empathy and maybe there'll be some movement um, amongst allies as well, because I feel like it falls all on you guys all the time. And um, it's a big country. Um, and it takes a lot more than that, you know, I think the support needs to be a bit more uh, universal as well. So I think that's basically what the young people tell us, is that they want support, but they just want people to know the realities of people's lives as well. Hi, um, my name is Maria Axel. I'm, I'm here from at the conference from the Communication Workers' Union, which is one of the unions affiliated to the Labour Party. I'm also involved with other people in other unions in the TUC, LGBT uh, movement and uh, conference. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about the transit work, work issue, because I think I recognise already uh, someone who represents uh, LGBT people in my own union and about others, about issues around the unnecessary use of gender markers at work. When it's just not necessary, absolutely, and we've had to deal. We've had to deal with that with some of our trans members. Um, other issues around the violence at work and bullying and harassment, and making the workplace a safe place where people are employed. I mean, there's all the issue about. You know, I know exactly what you're saying, but we're dealing with our members who are employed. We, just like with other people, we want to make sure that the workplace is a safe place, and also recognising educative process within amongst union activists as well. Um, around understanding trans issues, around understanding non-binary. So anyone who's a rep in a workplace, all members have the right to to be heard about their issues at work. And so that's that's what that's what's most important. I just wanted to say, I, I slight challenge actually to a couple of things that I said. Um, I mean, I personally am a trade unionist. I'm a socialist, and I do actually see trans liberation as part of a wide deliberation of society. What sort of society do we want to live in? I think that's about trans people's rights, but it's also about the sort of society we want to live in. And I think that's in the tradition of the Labour movement and of the better parts of the Labour Party. I'm not saying Labour Party is perfect. There's homophobia, there's sexism, there's whatever. But there's always been that strand that wants to make it um, liberate. And I do think, um, just one challenge, I think, about talking about the left. There are many lefts. And uh, I think we've got to be careful about overgeneralising about that. There is a definitely a liberatory left it's about changing the society, having proper healthcare, things we've talked about and not talking in silos. I think it's that tradition in which I think that uh, trans rights can be taken up in the, the best way. But I'd be interested to know what the, the rest of the panel think about, about that. Yeah, I agree with the last speaker that the left shouldn't be tarred with uh, just the one brush. I think it's really important to have 
for the trans movement to have allies. L looking, the battle over healthcare is really important. And uh, th th there have been gains made, there's efforts been made at the moment to uh, develop a d d GIC facility in, in Liverpool. But uh, it's in the context that you know, Sh Sheffield G GIC, the number of referrals has doubled within, within the last year. So the, the battle for resources is going to continue. It's going to, we're get, there's going to be attacks from the Daily Mail, from the right-wing media. That's going to continue in, in the future. So whatever gains are made, they're never going to be secured. There's always going to be these attacks. So the support from the Labour movement is in, in, incredibly important. With the context at the moment that there's been this huge debate within the Labour Party in the last few, few months over... The tax has been, been, been made by, by certain sections. And there's been debates, many, many CLPs around the country debating trans issues. And my CLP and many others have reaffirmed you know, the principle that trans women are, are women. Now, sure... People, people debating that come, come from from all sorts of de, de, no, de, de, don't don't know the detail the, the of the trans journey of all, all the issues facing trans people that, that we've been talking about t t today, but they're, they're receptive. There's openness, <laughs> the, the, and I think that, so. We, we need to take this back to the Labour movement, to, to the CLPs, and say, right, no, thank you for your, for, for your support, for uh, showing this level of support for us. Now, here are these other issues that, that, that we face, the difficulties with access to health care, the difficulties with violence and so, and so on. And uh, now we're also ask, asking for... Uh, Support over over these other issues, and it's t t taking those debates out and seeking allies and explaining patiently what what the issues are facing trans people. I think that that's incredibly important. Thank you. Um, I, just want, I just sort of wanted to add to what the previous speaker said. It's, it's a question. Um, what is it that? What concrete actions can can we take to ensure that the Labour Party is more representative of trans people and the LGBT uh, community in general? And you know, uh, for example, are the model motions that we can take back to our CLPs? What can we do? Because there are many of us who want to make the Labour Party more inclusive. Place and I have seen transphobia at this conference, um, and I, I was, you know, it, it's shameful to see it. And um, a lot of us want to know what we can do, what concrete things we can do to make a difference.
just just uh, coming back to you before, uh, I think lots of people will want to talk about what you said. Um, but, uh, sugar. My mind just blanked. Uh, do you, yeah, do you want to think while we come back to <laughs> I think both Chamindra and Joni... Um, I think both Chaminda and Joni have about uh, what you've both speak, spoken about, about concrete actions, um, things to say on that. Just on the gentleman's question about the con about concrete action that the Labour Party could take, I think the first thing is to see itself in the mirror and to be very critical in the ways in which the Labour Party functions as a political organisation, like understand and come to terms with the fact that there is an awful lot of discrimination within the Labour Party circles and try to tackle those things, right, and take those things up front and, um, and, and try to be very critical in your activism because there's an awful lack of critical discourse in the Labour Party's uh, political engagements. I mean, uh, it's unfit at times for a political movement of the left. Loads of sound bites, but not enough critical uh, uh, acumen within uh, the way in which policies are formulated. That's the main point. And on that note, a very quick word. Um, uh, my book is coming out very soon. It's called Decolonizing Peacebuilding. And kind of deals with directly and indirectly on, on that broad question, what can our political establishments do to make our, uh, our, our political advocacy um, and policy formulation and policy execution more critical? Um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of also answering your question, I think I, I just personally very much agree with uh, concrete, thing, concrete policies around um, benefits and welfare for trans people. I think that's the most concrete thing that I, I can think of that Labour can do for support because, yeah, um, representation and visibility in education is great, but those are things that will save lives. Um, and do you, do you, have you gotten that? I, th I think we could uh, really enshrine uh, trans, specifically trans names, trans pronouns. Uh, th one thing that I, I find really upsetting, uh, and I think a lot of us do, uh, is uh, when you read about somebody who's been killed and it's quite frequent with trans people and particularly trans women and particularly particularly trans women of color uh, that we read the wrong name in the news and that that would be something that could be could be upheld by uh, by government by by the police until we abolish them uh, but you know in the meantime they could call us by the right name uh, that would be that would be something that would be really simple. That would be like it would just go in a guideline. That would be great. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and what you were saying was, uh, <laughs> still can't remember. <laughs> it's very late in the evening. Um, in regard to what the um, in in regard to the CW CWU. Um, just again, like a little bit of anecdotal stuff about em employment. Like I think the useful things for trade unionists um, to take back about this is the fact that it's very difficult a lot of the time to kind of push uh, a case for uh, discrimination in the workplace for, for being trans. Um, I was recently let go very blatantly because of that, but I couldn't make a case whatsoever uh, with my workplace or with my union. And I think that's something that, again, is like a concrete thing. That's a quick thing I want to say. Um, we think... 
more? Have we got time for more questions? One more question. Would you like to? Yeah. Here we go. Hi, Robbie Bentley, Bristol West Labour Party, member of Disability Labour, uh, and pronouns please, she and her. Just two very quick points. The first point, there's an awful lot of ignorance within the trans community, specifically. We really need to educate ourselves about this shit, and we also need to educate ourselves about the rights that we already have laid down in law. There are quite a few. Section 149, for example, okay, the public sector equality duty, just say that to a public employee or somebody paid from public sector money, they are under it. You have the right to demand that they have, uh, that they use the appropriate pronouns, whatever they are, he, her, she, them, they, whatever. Okay, they have to do it. Second point that I want to make, Aiken, more generally, what has generally come out here, and I'm completely agreeing with if Dr. Jandrana uh, on this, is that there is an awful lot of information about this, but I do think that we need to actually forget about all of that and actually concentrate more on us as individuals and not just as these kind of ideas that some people get. Do you want to respond? I, I, if no one else would like to, I'd like to respond in that um, I very much agree. Um, I think quite a lot of the reason that a lot of trans people struggle with these sort of things is the fact that we're not aware of our rights, but at the same time, just because something is uh, meant to be enshrined in law doesn't mean it's followed. I mean, the gender pay gap is still a thing, um, sadly. Um, uh, but yeah, I think I think we do need to stop thinking about trans people as a discrete concept and within a broader concept. Absolutely, I agree. Sorry, Toby, got you. Recently, the uh, Women and Equalities Commission uh, sent out this little uh, questionnaire that was like, uh, how are we doing our jobs? Are we doing our jobs all right? And I was like, no, because actually you haven't reminded anyone that our rights have been enshrined in law for eight years to use whatever toilet we want to use. And that's not a new thing. It's not a brand new thing. Next week, there won't be a, like, a new set of trans people able to go into girls' to uh, changing rooms. We've been allowed to do that for like over 10 years, but since the 2010 Equality Acts, we've been allowed to do that. And if everyone could, you could correct people when, when they say that it's a brand new thing and that it's gonna ho be horrible, and they post a picture of fucking Jimmy Savile next to it, which they did in the Express in November, um, like, can can you please like call someone out on that? Because like, how how equality are we going to be if we don't get that that kind of basic recognition of what we've already done? Because uh, you know, at the moment we have to be lawyers, we have to be doctors, we have to be bankers, we have to be our own admin PA person, we have to be sort of all round amazing people, and we're still not being fucking employed despite being really, really organized at loads of these things. <laughs> like, I know so much about stuff, <laughs> benefits, everything. And it's just from being a human being who's trans today. And yeah. And it feels like you're reinventing the wheel, having to do all of this stuff for yourself because there's, yeah. there's not the, the support, but also not that it's all, it's all discrete support. Like, um, so your work with um, trans youth is wonderful and amazing. 
And I think if I'd been able to access that when I was younger, I'd be a completely different person. But like you said yourself, it's incredibly rare. Sorry. It's incredibly rare and it's not something people feel they can call on. It's a, it's a wonderful pocket of gold in a horrible universe. And that kind of stuff needs to be integrated into society so you don't have to do everything yourself. Any final questions? Oh, no. Um, if anyone here is a journalist, please can, when you talk about trans things, think about it as a human rights issue and not as a human interest story, because I'm sick to death of st uh, stories about trans people being treated like we've got like 50 piercings in our face, instead of a, a story about how we are being systematically oppressed. Uh, like every single time there's a, a conversation about trans people, it's sort of like, here, to come and tell us, you tell your story, like, or how big were you in your breasts before? You were a double D. Ooh. And then like, what, is it, what are you now? Like, that kind of shit isn't relevant. What is relevant is that, you know, we're dying. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Thanks. I guess I would, yeah, finish. We're all, we're all good, we're all good. Thank you very much for coming, everyone. Um, especially this late in the evening. <laughs>